Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Today, we're going to talk about the Iowa caucuses. They are tonight, and they are likely to have an outsized impact on the 2020 presidential race. Fortunately, we have a nationally recognized political expert living right here in the St. Louis area, and he just so happens to also be a high school student. Gabe Fleischer is a senior at John Burroughs School. He's also the author and sole staffer of the Wake Up to Politics newsletter. That newsletter is a must read for 50,000 people in all 50 states and numerous countries around the world. And now Gabe also has a podcast. The new Wake Up to Politics podcast is part of a partnership with St. Louis Public Radio, and it made its debut last month. So joining me in studio to talk about the Iowa caucuses, and yes, that new podcast too, is Gabe Fleischer. Gabe, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So big picture question. Iowa has just 3.1 million residents. That is barely bigger than the St. Louis metro area. Why is this caucus such a big deal? Yeah. It, so as we talked about in the podcast, the, the Iowa caucuses, really the the importance of the Iowa caucuses goes back to 1976 and when Jimmy Carter kind of came from behind and, and actually came in second place, not first, but came close to winning the Iowa caucuses and that really launched him on his way to the to the Democratic nomination that year. And ever since, Iowa has really held on to their first place um, status in the nominating process and is certainly the launch, has been the launching pad for nominees since, Barack Obama included, and every four years really does have kind of outsized impact on so the presidential race. That word caucus, this is so different than just the typical primary where you go and cast a ballot. And I understand it's it's even more different for the Democrats than mm-hmm. for the Republicans. So I know this can get really into the nitty gritty here, but how do caucuses work? Yeah, so so tonight at 7 p.m., Iowans will in 1,700 precincts across the state be going into high school gymnasia, into library, into churches, at different locations across the state, and they'll be getting into rooms. And basically, they'll hear speeches from surrogates for each of the candidates, and then they'll be asked to go into corners and 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 kind of group up with support with the other people supporting their same candidate. And what what makes the caucus process especially unique is not only is it that kind of public declaration of support, but there could be multiple rounds because if any candidate has less than fifteen percent support in that room, their supporters are asked to realign and go to somebody else. And then that process will keep on happening until there's no candidate in the room with less than 15 percent support. So it could often take hours. So this year, we've got a ton of candidates in this race. There's been a lot of people who've dropped out, but there's mm-hmm. still a lot left. How does that end up changing this process? Yeah, so what really ends up mattering is those second choice, um, the, the second choices of, of that, that Iowans have. There's 11 candidates now. And in statewide polling, there's really only four that reliably get above that 15 percent number. So any any other supporter of you know, one of those seven candidates, whether it's Andrew Yang or Amy Klobuchar or Tom Steyer, if they're walking in, you're an Amy Klobuchar voter, they might walk out a Joe Biden caucus goer. Or for, if they walk in Elizabeth Warren and she doesn't get 15 percent in that room, they'll have to end up going for Bernie Sanders, whoever their second choice is. So that's why Iowans are always you know going to events for all the different candidates, you know, not not just trying to set on their first choice, but in the case that their candidate doesn't meet that viability, that they're always keeping in mind who their second choice will be as well. So as you say, this can be a lengthy process. Any predictions on what time it's going to be before we can even start to get a sense of who's won this thing? That's a good question. We really don't know. It, it's been, it, there's been a lot of different times in the past when we started to get results in. Like I said, the Coxes will start 
at 7 p.m. And then from there, it's kind of anyone's guess how long it'll take or, or when we'll start to get a sense of who the winner is. Now, I understand this year also has some changes to this process. What are some of the big ones that those of us watching at home on our couch might want to know before we go in? Yeah, the, the biggest change is that you know, those of us watching on our couch might not have a, a real sense of who the winner is because for the first time, the Iowa Democrats are going to be releasing three different totals to, um, to, to let us know what's happening on caucus night. In the past, they've only ever released the state delegate equivalents of, of people's choices on caucus night. This year, they're also going to be giving the raw vote totals after the first alignment at each caucus location and after the final alignment. So there's a possibility that, say, Bernie Sanders could end up with the most raw votes uh, in, the, in the caucuses, but Joe Biden could end up with slightly more delegates. In the past, we would have only known that delegate number. Now there could be three different candidates that all have credible claims at declaring victory tonight. So we're talking to Gabe Fleischer, who um, has the Wake Up to Politics newsletter. Now he also has the Wake Up to Politics podcast. Um, and you can also listen to coverage of the Iowa caucus on Iowa caucuses on this station beginning at 7. I got to say, Gabe, I know your slogan is politics doesn't have to be confusing. Don't these, poli- don't these caucuses suggest that, yeah, this is pretty confusing. There's just no way to make this one simple. Yeah, there's no question. It's a complex process and, and it's a very uniquely American process. There's, there's really nowhere else in the world that, that, has, that votes quite like they do at the Coxes in Iowa. And so it's definitely complex. But I, you know, we tried in the first episode of the podcast. We, we tried to break it down and, and do what we can to make it a little, little bit more easy to understand for, for people trying to figure out what's going on tonight. Now, you do say in that um, podcast episode, some people are pushing back on Iowa's prominence. Why mm-hmm. is that? Well, Iowa, I, I mean, it's not hard to see why. You know, Iowa, like you said, it's a small state of, of three million voters. So I think there's a lot of people that question why though that that kind of select few have such a big have such a big say over who the president is and it's an overwhelmingly white state so there's not a lot of diversity in Iowa and, and so there's a lot of people that say it's giving kind of a, a, a very homogenous group of voters and an outsized say over who the president is. And, you know, with the caucus process being like we've talked about so lengthy and so kind of time consuming, it, it, it can also kind of cut out people, whether, whether it's working people, people with families, people that, that just can't afford to be spending this much time on a Monday night, um, you know, on, the, on this cold February day. And so it really kind of there's very low turnout and it kind of caters to a very small group of people that suddenly, you know, get first say over picking the president. Now, you also tell um, a very charming story in this podcast episode about the Iowa caucuses. And this was about how you traveled to Iowa four years ago. You were 14 years old Mm -hmm. um, and you watched the GOP debate there just ahead of the caucuses. I can't believe I'm calling this a charming anecdote (laughs) in that it ends with you meeting Ted Cruz, who's not really known for his charm. but um, (laughs) He was very nice. (laughs) In this anecdote, he was. was, Yes. I'm wondering, how did you ever persuade your parents to drive you to Iowa for Something like this. Well, the, the answer is they, they're they're very good parents and they're very supportive uh, of 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 my newsletter and of my journalism. They always have been. And the, the actual the story is in 2016 that that I got credentials through the Democrats to go to their November 2015 debate, and so that was the first debate I went to in Iowa. And when I was there, I met Sean Spicer, who obviously has now gone on to great fame, but then was kind of a relatively unknown uh, communications director at the RNC. And, and he said to me at the Democratic debate, you know, if you want to see a real debate, you should come to ours in January. 
So I said, okay. And so I, I took him up on it, and I emailed him, and I got credentials to the Republican debate. So my mom drove with me to the Democratic one, and my dad took me to the Republican one. And then actually, just last month, when the Democrats had their debate in Iowa, I went by myself. You, you went by yourself? You I were did, able to yeah, drive so up there? It's and... a big step, yeah. So was this worth it to do all this driving just to get there for this debate? Great. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's it, the, there, There's really nothing like that kind of spin room atmosphere that, that you're able to be with at the debates. It's it's so exciting, especially for me, you know, you know, being such a political junkie and having followed this race so closely, to suddenly be in the room and you know, watching Pete Buttigieg and Tom Steyer and all the different candidates running around and trying to get quotes from them and seeing who can interview. It's, they're, they're really, really fun to be at. And, and, and it's always really cool to just be in Iowa, you know, has, has such a unique energy you know, around this time as the caucus season's heating up. So it's really fun. So as I mentioned earlier in this introduction, you have been a political junkie for a long time. You actually started your newsletter in the third grade. And a few years later, um, in December of 2013, you were first interviewed by St. Louis Public Radio. Now, I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but I thought this was also very charming. We pulled some of the audio <laughs> of that. So let's listen. I'm Gabe Fleischer. I'm a sixth grader at Brittany Woods Middle School at University City, Missouri. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Wake Up to Politics. I wake up at 6 a.m. and I make my lunch and then I go downstairs and I start working on the newsletter and basically I just scour different sites on the internet until I find out what I want to write about and I go with it. I started this sending it to my mom and just because I've always been really interested in politics and it kind of grew from there as my mom sent it to her parents and our family and friends. And I just think it's really important to inform people about what's going on, about their government. And so I've been doing it ever since to larger and larger audiences. And that is Gabe Fleischer back in December of 2013. I can tell you're a little embarrassed hearing little bit, that today. Yeah. But um, I guess I find your interest in politics at such a young age almost less remarkable than the fact that you developed such a big following at such a young age. How did you initially get on the political junkies' radar? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty amazing to me, too, to to, to watch the growth that the newsletters had. Like I said in that clip, um, I, I first started it, you know, sending it to my mom when, when I was nine years old and she was my first subscriber and, and I, I i really the the answer to how it grew is that i just kind of kept working at it i i kept waking up each morning kind of trying to do the best job that i could kept writing the newsletter kept kind of um just trying to to seek out any opportunities i could to interview politicians when they've come to to kind of grow grow the the content of the newsletter as best i could and I've been very lucky to to have gotten coverage in you know in St. Louis Public Radio and other outlets like this that that have kind of pushed it um, to, to to get to different politicians and, and larger kind of more prominent names. And, and I, I really just kind of by keeping working at it and trying to keep being as be- as best a journalist as I could, it's been able to grow as much as it can. It's been it's been really remarkable. Now I love most recently you had just this great scoop where you scoop Bill De Blasio's campaign on its own launch announcement. How do you do that when you're based in Missouri that you manage to get this <laughs> scoop that the New York media misses, that he's caught off guard by? Yeah, I mean really the story of Wake with politics is the fact that, you know, the internet ha- has really brought this democrat democratization of of media and, and it's allowed me, you know, from sitting in my bedroom in St. Louis to to compete with outlets in New York, in DC. You know, journalism isn't just for for adults, you know, inside the Beltway now. It's for anyone who has a laptop and, and, and like me, you know, is committed to journalism can, can have an impact. And so, you know, that was back in May. I actually had just taken my AP English test that day and, and I was at home kind of surfing the web and I was able to stumble upon 
this um, announcement that Bill de Blasio was going to be in Iowa for the first stop on his presidential announcement tour, even though he had yet to announce. So I was able to tweet that out and I was able to, and, and you know, different journalists are noticing and seeing it and, and, and suddenly kind of forced the de Blasio campaign to push their announcement up a few hours. And so really, really, it's it's been amazing to see what I've been able to do just by kind of sitting and, and, and surfing around the web and and making an impact. With a scoop like that, um, did you see a, a big bump in terms of people then subscribing to your newsletter? Yeah, for sure. I mean, with, with every kind of um, kind of big interview that I've been able to do or scoop like that, I, I, I see the mailing list growing and growing. And, and like I said, I went from one subscriber and now I have about 50,000, which is still amazing to me. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of people would long for those kind of numbers. Here you are still in high school. Have you been able to monetize the newsletter? I guess maybe bigger picture question, do you want to monetize the newsletter? Right now, I'm really committed. Um, first of all, the newsletter is free, and I'm really committed to that, to making sure it's accessible and available to anyone. And I, I'm really proud of the fact that my readership spans from people of all ages. You know, there's teachers that use the newsletter in their classrooms. There's people on Capitol Hill that, that, that are reading it. And so it it's, really spans all kinds of ages and levels of interest in politics. So it, it's completely free. I do collect donations because there, there are costs involved with sending the newsletter and with maintaining the website and the different platforms that I'm on. So I do accept donations, but beyond that, I, I don't monetize it at all. And, and for now, I, you know, that, that's all I kind of plan to do but because I, I am really committed to, to keeping it free and to, for at the moment at least, keeping advertising out of it and, and, and just kind of giving people the, the content that, I, that I'm making and not you know, muddying it any further. Now, in addition to this newsletter, and again, in addition to high school, you've also got this podcast, the Wake Up to Politics podcast. What's the biggest challenge in going from the printed word to the spoken one? Yeah, it, it has been a challenge to kind of transition and, and to kind of learn you know, how, how to write for audio and how to speak for it. It, it is a lot different than kind of just uh, readers of my newsletter know that, that, that I try to keep it concise, but I, I can probably be a little wordy at time at times. And, and so it has been difficult to, to kind of learn h- how to best write for, for speaking, like you say, and, and how, to, how to keep things kind of concise and, and not you know, overwhelm people. So, so it has been a challenge, but luckily I've been partnering with with your great colleagues here at St. Louis Public Radio, and, and, and they've been really great in helping me kind of make that transition, and I, I'm really excited about what we've been able to put together. Has it been hard to find the time to do it? I just, I feel like you must be pulled in so many different directions this semester. No, that's for sure a challenge, too, to, you know, I, I certainly kind of have a routine down with, with balancing the newsletter and, and with homework and with school, and so that's something I've been doing for a long time. But but to suddenly add the podcast in, it, it, it has been a challenge, but 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 I think it's worth it, and it's something I'm excited about doing. So if people go to the Wake Up to Politics page, um, they can listen to the Iowa Caucus podcast there. Um, but give us a little sneak peek. Uh, what are you going to drop next? Um, so, yeah, the episodes we have coming, the, the next one is going to be about gerrymandering. So it's an interview with uh, Dr. Sam Wang of the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, talking about kind of the history of gerrymandering and, and, and what the future is of of people that, that are trying to undo it. So that's an episode we have coming up. I have an interview with Philip Freeman, who's a professor at Pepperdine University and an expert on ancient elections, talking about kind of the history of elections. Hmm. And, um, ancient elections? Yeah. You mean like back in the Roman days? Yeah, exactly. Days. Yeah, yeah, Greek and Roman elections and kind of how, um, how voting has and hasn't changed since then. And then another episode of coming up is about polling. And I interviewed uh, Steve Kornacki of MSNBC talking about uh, political polling and, and, and how uh, listeners can interpret it. And so what's the schedule? When can people anticipate um, the next one dropping and, and then to check in back in after that? Yeah, so episodes are coming out every other week. So the first one came last Friday about the Iowa Coxes, And then this Friday we'll have one about uh, 
gerrymandering. Well, it's very exciting to hear what you're all up to. I still don't get where you find the time, but it's impressive to hear that somebody's getting up at six willingly and, and getting stuff done. So Gabe Fleischer of Wake Up to Politics, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. And um, if people want to get more information about these projects, what's your website? Yeah, wakeuptopolitics.com. Nice and simple. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.